Hi everybody, welcome to the Feversham Music Podcast. This is our very first episode. Um, it's entitled Say Mno to Mnemonics. Um, we're going to be discussing mnemonics in music, um, particularly when we use them in music education to learn the notes of the stave. Um, I can't rem- remember my guest names, unfortunately, today, but thankfully I've got a mnemonic for each of them. So my first guest is Elephants Live in Social Services Apartments. Um, and that's Elissa Milne from all the way from Australia. Um, and also joining us is uh, Seven Aardvarks Mating Again Nora. Um, totally hedonistic animals. Um, and that's that spells out Samantha. And that helps me remember that my other guest is Samantha Coates. So hello to both of you. How are you doing? Hello. Wow. Hello, that's hilarious. <laughs> Wow, I didn't realize it was so complex. Like, wow. <laughs> but I'm so happy never... that you've got a way of remembering who we are, Jimmy. This is great. <laughs> yes, I can't remember my name, though. I remember the totally hedonistic animals bit. <laughs> I wanted to call this episode Famous Victorians, but unfortunately you're from Sydney. Um, but Samantha, <laughs> could you just introduce yourself? Tell us all about who you are, please. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, I'm, yep. My name is Samantha, as uh, Jimmy so cleverly spelt out before. And um, I was born and bred in Sydney, Australia. Um, I um, run a private mu- music studio here, and I'm also the author and creator of the Blitz Book series of music education materials. So that's theory books and sight reading books and a series of rote repertoire. And um, for many, many years, I have. Uh, done a presentation about mnemonics um, and why they don't work and um, and I guess that's kind of my my profile in Australia and um, and in some other places and that's why probably why you've asked me to be a guest on this great podcast episode so thanks yeah absolutely brilliant thank you um, Elisa could you tell us about yourself please Okay, well, the first thing is I'm going to just make sure that we all know how to say my name because the mnemonic... I thought I might be getting that wrong. Yeah, the mnemonic reminds you how to spell it, but it doesn't remind you how to say it. So I'm going to give you a different mnemonic, and it's it's of a different nature, and that could be useful for us to discuss as we go on. So the mnemonic for remembering how to say my name is this. It's mm-hmm. Mona Lisa without the moan. <laughs> So think it through and go, mm, Elisa. And there you go. That's how you say my name, Elisa. So Elisa. Um, I'm Elisa Mill. And um, yes, I'm a composer of uh, music that is played by students um, in their piano exams and their cello exams and their trumpet exams and, and concerts and all the things all over the, the world. Um, some people might know me from my Little Pepper series or my Pepperbox Jazz series or in Australia from my Getting Two books or my P-Play Piano books. And some people in the music education world might know me from the 40-piece challenge and or from the chord challenge or from a whole bunch of other things. So, or from my blog, I don't know where. But when it comes to mnemonics, Sam and I have been a little bit of a tag team with this a little bit. Like she does this very cool presentation. She mentioned it, but I just need to say, her presentation is incredibly cool in, in showing, you know, where the limitations lie with, with mnemonics. And um, often when it comes to an online scenario, I will turn up with ridiculous mnemonics 
just to kind of, you know, illustrate the point. So Sam's sort of like straight, the straight guy to like, I, I come yes. on with the silly stuff, <laughs> you know. So, you know, we're a bit of a comedy duo, really, I suppose, <laughs> in the music education world. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there's nothing like a balanced debate, and this is nothing like a balanced debate because we're not the BBC. <laughs> Uh, we're all in agreement that the sort of mnemonics we're talking about doesn't work. And I know some listeners will be listening and saying, oh, but I really like mnemonics. They help me remember things. And some of them do work brilliantly. I've got a really good one here for remembering the ultimate fate of all of Henry VIII's wives. Do you want to hear that one? Let's hear it. Died, 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 died. There you go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That is great. I love it. It's useful, isn't it? So, yes, mnemonics are definitely useful, but um, obviously we're talking about a specific type of mnemonic in music education, uh, one that will be firmly implanted in what are often unhappy memories of school music lessons for people, and that's the mnemonics to remember the notes on the stave, things like every green bus drives fast, all cows eat your face, good buses always deserve faces, um, and this one, which I like, education goes beyond dumb phrases, but you have to spell phrases with an F for that one to work. Um, <laughs> so, um, Samantha, perhaps you could tell us why are mnemonics so monstrous? <laughs> That's great. Well, um, there are several reasons. I, I think that the demonstration earlier of uh, Elisa's name and the fact that the mnemonic helped you remember it, but then it doesn't didn't actually help her help pronounce her name correctly, is on point here. So um, first of all, um, to to learn the names of the notes in music, that's not music. Naming notes is not music. It's not related to sound. Uh, and I don't think that should be anybody's first experience of music. So um, I have a lot of students who come along and their parents say to me, oh, they know the names of the notes. And I'm thinking, so? Like, that doesn't mean anything. Um, it's it's about sound. And, um, and the other reason why I really don't like them is because it doesn't represent the order of the notes. It's a mnemonic for remembering something that's not in order, um, and that just doesn't make any sense at all. We don't care whether a note is on a line or in a space in music. Uh, we, we're going to read according to patterns, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter where that note is situated on its own. It matters in relation to other notes. So uh, we already have a really fantastic mnemonic for remembering the, the order of the notes, and that is called the alphabet. There it is right there, seven letters in order. And most kids do know it. They do. They do know the alphabet. So, uh, from the time anybody's saying the alphabet, they already know the names of the notes. Let's put it that way. So there's no need to start memorising them in any particular order. Uh, and then the third, the the third reason, which I could go on and on about why they're no good, but they slow down the process of sight reading because um, by teaching four formulas to trying to remember line notes in the treble line notes in the bass space notes in the treble space notes in the bass by the time when you hold a flashcard up to a child and say what's this note they're just trying to remember four formulas and we don't need to read music like that we just need one fixed point of reference and work it out from there and uh yeah i mean how long do you want me to talk about how why i don't like mnemonics because i could use up the whole podcast 
that's pretty much what we've got planned for the whole podcast, just as uh, <laughs> dissing mnemonics. Uh, but maybe uh, Elisa could jump in and, and diss them as well. Yeah. Well, look, everything that Sam said, like obviously everything that Sam said, all of that, um, I would like to emphasise that the reason that people want to use a mnemonic um, is the bit that gets in the way, right? Like people often want to use a mnemonic because they think that it's hard. So they have a belief that it's going to be hard to figure out. So they're looking for something because they think they need to make it easier because they think it's hard. And if we just kind of deconstruct all of those beliefs in the first place, we find we probably don't have any urge to use them in the first place. But let's put that aside for a moment. There's also the issue of misunderstanding what reading music even is. And Sam talked about the fact that music isn't the labels that the the notes have it like naming the notes is not the same thing as music um a lot of people out there music educators included <clears throat> operate under the assumption that naming the note itself is an integral element of performing musically or being a musician or doing musicking um as if just if you can collect enough data points you will it will all cohere into a musical event. And it's what I call the data entry system of reading or thinking about music, that um, you see a label, it tells you to do an action, you do the action, it produces a sound, the sound then connects to the next sound that comes from the next action, which came because you got a new bit of data that you had to execute. And so this data entry model of like, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm just typing in the data. And if I do it right, it will magically make music. This is the belief that is behind a mnemonic approach to reading. So let's just park that because there's a lot to unpack even in there. But then there's the aspect of the notation actually being a representation of what you hear rather than the notation being a representation of what you should do. And that dichotomy, like believing that the notation tells you what to do, is a misunderstanding of what notation is. And as soon as you flip over to the notation actually being a representation of what you hear, it changes everything like th and this is now talking at the macro level of reading but it, because this is the truth because notation is a representation of what you hear rather than a representation of the actions you need to undertake mnemonics serve absolutely no function toward the end of the notation working as a representation of sound like they just don't serve any function whatsoever. So I'm coming at this now in these things I'm saying very much from the kind of big picture side of things. Sam was reflecting the practicalities of like it just it just doesn't work the right way because it takes too long and it it's just meaningless that level at that practical level. But from the big picture point of view, it doesn't serve any true vision of what music notation is even all about. Yeah, um, I think a good example of that, you often get children in school like writing out the word cabbage in notation and it's not attached to any sound at all. Or, um, exactly. you know, if you present mm -hmm. them with uh, C, C, G, G, A, A, G, F, F, E, E, D, D, C, yeah. they're not necessarily going to recognise that as twinkle, twinkle, are they? They're just yeah. going to kind of name the notes. Um, and I often see yes. it in, in teaching... Um, 
I, I take a very long time to really embed the sound of the notes uh, before we look at the symbols. So uh, in my school, I start working with five-year-olds. They'll just read two notes to begin with. Um, we'll do lots of games with the parachute, with the high notes and the high notes and the low note. Um, really embed those sounds, and then have them reading the two notes, and then we'll get, gradually build up from there. We'll add. So we'll start with so and me, and then we'll add la to that, um, and then eventually add mi re do. So they've got the pentatonic scale, and we build up, and it takes years. And then I see lots of resources online where this is done in two lessons. You know, um, everything is kind of all presented all at once, all the notes, there's no sound attached to any of the symbols. Um, and to be honest, that was how I was taught how to read music or taught how to not read music very well when I was growing up. Um, uh, and I always really, really struggled with it. It, it. it always kind of looked like Greek and I'd always have a panic attack when I was presented with music. Um, and actually, it was in my teaching when I started teaching um, according to Kadai principles and developing the, the notation that way. It really helped with my own reading. And suddenly, there was a sound uh, that it, it had sonic meaning, not just dots on a page. And it kind Ooh. of really woke up my own musical reading. Um, and obviously, there's, there's other approaches than the, than the Kadai approach, but. Um, Kind of sound, sound before symbol seems to be a really common uh, theme that all the good, or in my opinion, all the good approaches have. Um, well, Jimmy, I'm just going to interrupt to say there's no sure. good approach that has the symbol before the sound. Yeah, there's no exactly. good approach that has mm. the symbol before the sound. So, you know, this isn't even something that anybody should be debating in. Mm like in the world ever it just shouldn't be something that should ever be debated it's just crazy to me that we even end up having conversations where there's even this kind of hint of apology of like oh well this is the way that i do it no this is actually the way music works so sound is what it is like music is sound everything else comes after everything so the whole notion that you start a music education with a symbol, it's like, well, it's not an art class, my friends. This is not, <laughs> this is not calligraphy lessons. This is, this is a music class. So of course the sound comes first and the symbol only comes into play when we want to communicate through writing what we experience in the world, in our bodies, um, in community with other musicians like that's it's it's that far down the track you know we're already being musicians we're already experiencing and playing and and executing music in all kinds of human ways before we ever need want anything to have a symbolic representation of it i think that's a really key element to just go can we all just acknowledge this like can we all just acknowledge that we're all being musical all the time even if we've never had a music lesson humans are just musical and so all of this other stuff comes down the track from the sounds that we create and and experience i just think good Good teaching starts with uh, the concrete, doesn't it? The, the kind of concrete experiences uh, before you move to the abstract, whatever you're teaching. Um, and so it seems that it's kind of bypassed in music education, isn't it? Um, it we just go straight to kind of naming symbols. And I think part of it is because that's how we were all taught. So it's it's very easy to kind of revert to what, what we know, isn't it? Rather than kind of learn perhaps better ways of, of approaching it. 
Um, Samantha, um, you do. A, could you tell us a little bit about your? I don't know if it will work necessarily in in an audio way, but could you talk to us about your presentation that you do, which kind of shows how uh, not naming doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, look, a few people have asked me to do this um, in the past online or, or in various different ways, and actually it only works as a live presentation. It, that is the only way. So that's um, a no then. What I can just, <laughs> that, that's a no. It, it, it just when I, I recently, though, did record me doing it in a live scenario, and that is up on YouTube. So, uh, and it's a very, very clear title that says, Samantha Coates explains why mnemonics do not work. That's the title of the YouTube video. Nothing catchy there. So um, I think that is, that is something that people can watch if they want to see how I prove this point. But it's in the form of a game where we just simply change the names of the notes. But my point of it is that really it doesn't matter what you name a note because it only matters what the, what the note sounds like and can you do you know how to find that note on an instrument so the symbol tells you what the sound is that you need to make and it's your job to figure out how you're going to make that on whatever instrument you've got so eventually the symbol is going to be associated with a physical movement on an instrument or with a voice um, but which is even harder because that physical movement has to bring out a note you know we we are that we have to pitch the instrument sight we have to do it sight singing is really hard but even so that symbol says make this sound uh and then as elisa says it tells you what the sound is it doesn't tell you how to make it so we have to figure out how to make it and that's going to be a physical movement with our bodies what we don't want to do is make the physical sound don't have to do is make a physical sound of pronouncing that name of that note that is a, a an invalid step an unnecessary step, we can go straight to making the sound on the instrument. So we see the symbol, we do the movement that makes that sound. We don't need to actually say out loud what the name of that note is. No, I, I don't internalize note names while I'm sight reading. Nobody does. Even if I, I would challenge any music teacher to, um, if even if they are teaching mnemonics to start off with, I seriously doubt that when they are actually playing music they are saying the, every single note name to themselves before they play it so I, maybe they are maybe they are and I think I think when people impossible. are I think you can hear it in the way that they play <laughs> like <laughs> like and, and I'm I'm maybe. being quite serious I'm being quite serious like if your belief is that you need to be internally thinking the name of every note as you play it you're going to be playing in a much less musical, almost an amusical way, in comparison to the fluency, the flow, the, the the musical energy that comes when you are not putting a huge hurdle in your way, saying, gosh, I don't want to just play the music. I want to give myself a cognitive challenge for no purpose. Like, I've decided it's like making yourself do a Sudoku while you're playing a concerto or something. It's like, why would yeah, you do that? I think, you know? I think this is a big yes. problem. This is a big problem with mnemonics generally because often the mnemonic is more complicated than just remembering what the thing is in the first place. Oh, um, I've got a great one here. So this is a really useful way of remembering the order of the seasons. If you're not sure whether spring follows summer or, you know, what the order is, all you do is you take the first and last letter of the season and then you correlate it with the periodic table of elements symbol. So spring would be SG, which is Seaborgium. 
and summer would be <laughs> <laughs> summer would be SR, which is strontium. Okay. Then you add together all the individual digits in each element's atomic radius. So Seaborgium <laughs> has an atomic radiance of 132 p.m. So 1 plus 3 plus 2 equals 6. Strontium has an atomic radiance of 215 p.m. So that's 2 plus 1 plus 5, and that equals 8. When we get to autumn, we have to ignore the silent N at the end and say that it's AM Americum, which has an atomic radius of 173 p.m. or 1 plus 7 plus 3, which equals 11. And then you simply put the seasons in numerical order after that. Unfortunately, wow. the entire thing falls to pieces with winter. You just have to remember that winter goes last because it doesn't work right. with winter. But that's pretty good, isn't it? And there's, and there's an, is there a mnemonic for remembering that? Right, okay. No. <laughs> well, this is the thing, though, right? Like, there are times when a mnemonic um, is useful. And the time that a mnemonic is useful is when the information that needs to be in a sequence has no motivating reason for being in that sequence. But for whatever reason, you need to know that sequence. Or it's a list and you need to have some way of holding all of this disparate information together in a list. That's when a mnemonic's useful. But when something actually has a logic to it, such as the alphabet, like the alphabet <laughs> in itself is the thing that has no logic, okay? Like if we just pull ourselves back. The alphabet does not have an intrinsic motivation to be in the order it is. We just have to learn it. And children around the world do an amazing job having no trouble learning all 26 letters in a row. Like it just, they manage that. So when we come to music, why? Why would you, like it's already logical. It's already lined up. Why would you add something complicated to it? It's, anyway. Hmm. Sigh. Yes, I agree that there are definitely times where mnemonics are useful and even in the world of music as well, like remembering the order of the sharps. Yes, you can derive it by going up in fifths um, from F and uh, you can do that. But if you want to remember a cute sentence like um, five cats got drowned at Elizabeth Bay because I'm not a cat person, then you uh -huh. can, that's fine. There's no harm in remembering that because that actually does represent the order of the sharps. There is no problem there. It's probably good to understand maybe how that order came about, but it's not terrible to have that remembering device because that's what a mnemonic is. But the problem is that the word mnemonic has become synonymous with every good boy deserves fruit. Um, and um, therefore, when I am caught, inverted commas, caught teaching my students five cats got drowned at Elizabeth Bay or at least or condoning that in any way, people say to me, hang on, you said you're against mnemonics. Well, no, I'm against teaching the note names uh, with mnemonics. I'm kind of almost, I'm almost anti-teaching note names in general. I try very hard not to teach any note names at all. Because I, I don't, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's a way of um, communicating with each other, I guess, as musicians. You have to have but, a shared um, point of reference, right? Like A shared point of reference. It's when true. I say this, this is what I mean and you understand what I mean and we both understand that we both mean the same thing. Yes. And if the conductor says, we're all going to go from the B in bar two, we all have to know what, what the B is. That's fine. Um, but you certainly could learn to play music 
very well without learning note names. In, in you could do it. And I after I gave my mnemonics demonstration one time in America, I had a, a, um, a this is the second best piece of feedback I ever got. A woman came up to me and she said, you know, you're right, because I taught myself how to play the piano. I just figured it out, how to, how to read the patterns, and I never knew the name of a single note. And I thought, that is fantastic. And the best piece of feedback I ever got after doing my presentation was that um, there was this teacher uh, who we'd become friends at a conference and she then just as I'm about to go on, she said, oh, I, I kind of use mnemonics, so I'm interested to hear what you say. And, oh, I instantly felt terrible because I really liked this woman. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to offend her. But um, anyway, I did the presentation and then she's smiling at the back of the room and I went up to her and then she said, Sam, mnemonics are dead to me. And that was awesome. <laughs> That's the best feedback. That is best yeah. feedback. Now, look, I'm going yeah. to jump in to say, Sam's description of why um, it's great to use, or not great, that's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but why order of sharps <laughs> works fine with a mnemonic. Permissible. Uh, yeah, it's permissible. I just want to, I, I don't disagree with what Sam's saying outright, but I disagree a little bit. And Sam and I, we've had this conversation before, but let's mm -hmm. just share it in the podcast as well. So my view on the order of sharps is it's a physical pattern that you can see on the keyboard, like because I'm coming from it from a, piano point of view so I can I can see it all geographically on there and the the way that the sharps and the flats all operate is just like this lovely little um pattern like it's a visual pattern you can see it's just there it just unfolds on the keys in front of you and so if you know what it work how it is and how it kind of shuffles crab-like up the keys um you actually know the pattern in advance and you just have to go oh this one that one this one that one this one that one this one that one and you're you've got it there um, but I totally agree with Sam in that the the value of um, like using a mnemonic for this isn't going to get in the way it's not going to prevent you from whatever your musical thing is with a key signature in the order of sharps it's not going to it doesn't get in the way whereas when it comes to pitch using a mnemonic slows you down and that's why it's death like that is why they should be dead to everybody because they create <laughs> cognitive challenge. Yeah. They make it harder. They Why would you make it harder? This is the thing. Whereas in the instance of the sharps, the order of the sharps, you're not making it harder by using a mnemonic. You're, just, you're doing it a different way, but you're not actually making it harder. Um, the way I the way obviously I teach in a slightly different context most of the time I do have a few piano students but most of my teaching is with with young children in in classes of 30 odd um, and one thing that I do with them as, as I mentioned we kind of gradually introduce all the notes with a very strong embedded sound um, but we also use Dalcro's movement so children know that me to far is a semitone um, yeah. so they will um, Kind of, we'll do lots of half, physical half steps and whole steps so that they know the relationships between the notes. Um, the solfar gives them the functionality so they know. Um, I, I love using solfar because, for example, do re mi is this is your notes three four five in a minor key. It's um, notes one two three, but in in a major key. But you've always got that do re mi. They always sound the same, whatever mode they're in. Um, but what I find is that just giving children that information they can maybe go and play a, a 
pentatonic song in C on the piano and I'll say to them, okay, try that again. This time start on F sharp yeah. and see what notes come yeah. out. Or this time start on A. And because yeah. they understand the functionality and the relationships between the notes, uh, they can do it. And I was, I was actually quite amazed when I first saw this that they could just kind of transpose at will. Uh, but it certainly makes sense given the, the grounding they've had. Um, but just to come to another point, I, I do use a mnemonic myself, um, and that's because I used to teach uh, older children. You get even at even at A level, people not spelling the word rhythm properly. Um, so we just use a simple mnemonic: rhythm has your two hips moving. That helps you. To, it's quite an easy thing to remember. It helps you remember the spelling. It's really effective in getting all the children in the class to spell something. Um, but I was on a on a Facebook group a few weeks back, um, and someone had. Just, recommended that they use the um, mnemonic rhythm gets your two hips moving. So <laughs> I responded to that by saying rhythm. Um, and she responded by saying, it's only a mnemonic to remember the two H's, a bit like it's necessary to have one collar and two sleeves, but you know that already. And I said, <laughs> yeah. so there's getting mnemonics wrong as well, which some, some well, teachers seem to be doing. It's the getting them when it's wrong that's the big thing. But I, I want to just say something about the rhythm, okay, because this is a really good example of, sure, you can use a mnemonic if you don't know why it's spelt that way. But if somebody took the time to explain to children why rhythm is spelt R-H-Y-T-H-M, then no one would have trouble with it. And the reason is the word comes from Greek and the R-H belongs together like in rhino and the th belongs together like in theater and so if you go oh it comes from greek so i'm expecting to see the h there and if you also look at the pattern you go well it's rhy that's one half thm that's the other half the child can see the pattern and if if these things are introduced to students in terms of where does it come from why does it why does it work that way why does it have this crazy spelling what's the logic behind it both in terms of etymology and in terms of what can you see in terms of the visuals of the pattern you don't need a mnemonic you know like this is where it comes back all the time to all of these mnemonics they reflect that we don't really understand what it is in the first place to you know what i mean like we, we don't want to go deeper with stuff so we just go oh well here's a simple way of remembering it because god knows why it's this or that and Anyway, I just think that's a that word is a really good example of of how mnemonics can be useful, but only if you don't understand where the word comes from or or see the patterns in it. Yeah, I mean, my six year old's knowledge of Greek isn't that brilliant, to be honest. Yeah, but no, no, I'm not talking about having, I'm not talking about having a knowledge of that. But why would a six year old ever need to spell rhythm? Like, what what are we doing asking a six year old to spell rhythm for? Like, that's that's nuts. Like. You know, like when they're ready to spell rhythm, you know, they should be able to spell rhino before they can spell rhythm. But that, now we're turning into a spelling yeah, conversation. Yeah, perhaps, we're yeah. off on the diff on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think I think the point is that mnemonics can sometimes be a shortcut that we use instead of understanding something properly. Yes, exactly. I think exactly. that's kind of what exactly. you're saying, wasn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yes, and in the case of music mnemonics, it's a long cut in place of not understanding something. So it's it's a double bat whammy. I found another beautiful uh, thing online here. This is was this was from somebody on a on a teacher group on Facebook, and he said, "My students remembered the treble clef notes, uh, face the space notes." 
as dog father, auntie cousin, elephant gorilla. Because my student is so creative, he pointed out that the staves and notes look like a family peeping behind those horizontal curtains. So he ended up thinking, why not? Now he remembers that his dog is the shortest, so he peeps out from under his dog hole. The, the, the father is shorter than his aunt, so he peeps through the lowest point of the curtain, as his cousin is taller than his aunt, so he peeps at a higher point than his aunt at the curtain. Then the pet elephant is the tallest, so he peeps through the highest of the curtain, and the grumpy gorilla is so tall that he's taller than the curtain, so he just rests his head on top of the curtain, and that's why G is on the very top. He's a very grumpy gorilla staring outside. My student is a genius. <laughs> I think that, yeah, the, the, your seasons one was easier to understand. But, but I think that would make a brilliant children's book. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's fantastic creative writing. I don't know that it's a, um, something that can be universalised in a way. <laughs> oh, and speaking of universalised, how many countries in the world use the alphabet right? names for the names of the notes? Mm, so many do not. No, and and uh, how many how many other countries? Even if they, uh, I mean, they they might have alphabet and letter names, but then they don't have the same alphabet. So um, yes. it's just it it just it just doesn't work. It just it's not meant to be like that. It's it's a symbol, a universal symbol all over the world that represents the same sound. Yes. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. I'd like to say a big thank you to our guests, Elisa Milne and Samantha Coates. Um, I'd also like to thank Laura Beth Roundy for um, some of the mnemonics and also Viz Magazine for some of the mnemonics. Um, I do hope you can join us next time. If you'd like to appear on the show, please do get in touch. But that's it from us today. I think we've thoroughly put um, mnemonics into room 101 where it belongs and hopefully we'll never see it in education again yeah right till next time bye everyone <laughs>